Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Revived Bots is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy Angel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts. Cry out, cry out in love. If you correct someone, correct them out of love. Let the root of love be in you. Nothing can spring from it but good. Every episode we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered today. We're going way back to St. Augustine. This sermon would have been preached sometime in the late 4th or early 5th century at the end of the ancient Roman Empire. Joel, we, uh, I have, this might yeah. be the, one of the nerdiest confessions that I have ever had on the show, or the coolest, depending on your perspective, but my family and I got a dog very recently, and we did name him Augustine, so I feel like, and when I say recently, I mean like five days ago, so I feel like I'd be remiss doing an episode of Revive Thoughts this week if I did not mention that it's a great dog name, or at least it's the name of our dog currently. That is a oh. great dog name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now jumping in. Joel, St. Augustine is without a doubt one of the most famous people in all of church history. We have covered him, an actually really recent episode we covered him in February. I didn't mean for this episode to come out so on top of each other, which four or five months is really close together to go over the same person. Uh, But I found this sermon of his in my archive of sermons from way back, long time ago that I've been going through. And so I got it together and it just came out. But I think that's okay because we're going to tackle kind of a different way of looking at Augustine than maybe people have heard him before. So if you want to hear his full backstory, I really recommend that episode we put out in February, and I also recommend our other episodes on Augustine. And if you're a big fan of Augustine, you should be subscribed to Revived Devos, where every week we do a little bit of Augustine's confessions and go through part of that as well. So there's a a lot of Augustine on our shows. And if you're listening right now and you're going, Augustine, I thought his name was Augustine. I just want to inform you that we call him Augustine. And if that bothers you, well, this is probably going to be hard for you to listen to then because that's kind of how we do it. Yeah, Augustine, Augustine, uh, there's there's multiple ways to pronounce it. Again, yeah, we usually stick with Augustine around here. But, uh, you know, I respect however you pronounce St. Augustine slash Augustine. Augustine of Hippo is his full title as we think of him. And he was born in the year 354. He would die in the year 430. So relatively nice, solid, long life for for someone of that era. Uh, Rebellious child growing up, rebellious teenager, uh, kind of rejected authority figures, rejected Christianity all throughout his life until about the age of 31. He became 
a Manichean, which we've talked about on a, a previous episode. As Troy mentioned, please jump into our previous episodes about August, Augustine. There are some, uh, some great bits in there. So he eventually gets called to God, and when he picks up a Bible after hearing a voice that, that told him to do so, you know, whether it's from God or an angel, you know, he, he doesn't know, but he, a voice told him to pick up this Bible and open it, and he reads the following verses. Let us walk properly. As in the daytime, not in orgies or in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that was it for St. Augustine. He became, uh, that, that was his conversion moment there. He became a believer and uh, completely changed his, his ways in his life after that moment. These are probably parts of his life you are familiar with. Certainly, if you're a regular listener to our show and you have listened to our other episodes on Revive Thoughts, this is a bit of a refresher for you. Today, I really wanted to talk about something different. Less talked about a different focus on Augustine than we've done in the past. If, any, if you're someone who enjoys history, the fall of the Roman Empire is one of those subjects that is always interesting, interests me. I think it interests anybody who enjoys history a little bit. I have not studied it nearly as much as some people. Some people can really lay it all out there for you, and they have all these different discussions and theories. But for me, I do enjoy thinking about, you know, what happened to this once great empire that caused it to crash and burn and kind of disappear. One of the most interesting aspects of the fall of the Roman Empire to me has always been that Rome, the city, gets starved out and destroyed in the year 410. But the traditional date of the fall of the Roman Empire is 476. And so even though Rome is gone as a city in a lot of ways, uh, the Roman Empire is still going strong for 66 more years. But people kind of could see the writing on the wall that Rome was heading away. Now, a lot of historians would fight the idea of Rome falling in a sense, or that there's this decline and period the whole falling apart thing. Even the idea that the Roman Empire fell is under is under some uh, discussion because the Byzantine Empire lasted another thousand years and it was called the Roman Empire until it was renamed the Byzantine Empire. The, setting all of that stuff aside though, for the purposes of Augustine, you can see that he is living in the twilight, the final years of this empire. A good comparison is Gregory the Great. We did an episode on him a long time ago, and he literally lived in the like mid-500s, late-500s, late-6th century. And he's literally living in Rome, the city, but he's across the street from like the broken-down Colosseum. He's across the street from all these artifacts, these ancient things. Now, we look at those things. If you go on vacation, you'd love to get a picture of the Colosseum because it's this cool thing from, you know, 2,000 years ago. But for him, he's literally living in the shadow of this great empire. He's literally living in its ruins. And to him, that Colosseum isn't this cool you know, thing to go see on a tour. It's something that represented what your empire used to be and what you've dwindled down to. Augustine is not living in the ruins of that empire yet, but he is living in, those, in, the, in the moments that led to the empire ending. He's seeing it kind of all come crashing down around him. You know, if you lived in the United States of America and the White House, you know, blew up a hundred years from now, people living across the street from the broken down White House, that's what it would be like. And Augustine is living in those moments where those great things are coming down and the ruins are starting to settle. Yeah, it's really, it's an interesting uh, kind of era to think about. Augustine is living through this decline of the Roman Empire. It's, it's something that his his lifespan happens to straddle perfectly. 
In fact, the, the armies that destroyed Rome would be the same armies that ended up sieging and destroying the city that that Augustine lives in as he's dying. Not not the not the literal exact armies, you know, not the same soldiers, but that that same movement, that same campaign uh, would end up sieging and taking his city as well. So in the year 410, as we said, Rome is destroyed. And even if you didn't know that the Roman Empire was in decline and heading out, you know, it had been a thousand years that the Roman Empire was building to be the strongest in the world and it had been for the longest time, but Still, you would have seen signs of trouble around you, right? Augustine had been to Rome. He'd lived there for a year uh, in his earlier years, and it was his empire's capital city. You know, by this point in his life, the capital had moved, but still, it was that it had that association with it. You know, it was the world's capital, is how many people saw it. And, you know, say what you will about Rome, but during this era, uh, it is technically a christian empire at this time and i'm using air quotes for christian empire but you know we look at the 400s and that is uh the best christians have had it in rome for a long time yet it goes down in a pretty brutal way the city does for 800 years no one had really taken rome despite many attempts by lots of different armies and lots of different eras for the pagans in the empire it was this mystical birthplace you know rome this this wonderful land and for christians it was the place where the Pope and the, the seat of Peter reigned. It was an invincible place that many many people saw it in that light as this invincible place. But then the city was sieged and it was starved, and the invaders came in. They, they ransacked the city for three days straight, which, you know, it, in those days, that's a bit of a mercy. It could have been much, much worse. As far as invasions go in those olden days, uh, it was a relatively tame one, but... Uh, that symbol had fallen. Everything that people looked up to for hundreds of years was suddenly gone. Things were changing for people. I think when things start to change, a lot of times people, you know, they don't know how to respond. They can move into panic mode where they just freak out. Some people, when things are getting bad, they just kind of give up and they throw themselves into pleasure, not worrying about tomorrow. You know, carpe diem, right? Seize the day. Other people look at all the chaos and they try to understandably make everything around them as secure as possible and they move in fear, and they're doing everything they can to see that their family survives. This is something I think we can all and sometimes relate to during times of trouble or change, but this is also, for the Roman Empire, this is huge. Jerome in the Middle East, Jerome is another ancient church father, and the Middle East said that there was once these proud noble women of Rome were now refugees in the Middle East begging on the streets for a crust of bread. Many women were harmed in the terrible ways that women can be harmed during this invasion. And for many pagan women, when something like that happened to them, it was considered an honorable thing to kill themselves, and many of them did. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
North Africa, where Augustine was, also saw a huge influx of people coming from what was once called the Eternal City. And some reported the pagans saying to them as they arrived, Oh, what's wrong? Did your Christian God not protect you? Huh, he didn't protect you in your city, huh? Well, huh, I guess your Christian God's not so good after all. Now, what have I, I mean, on top of all these things, they're being mocked, these refugees are struggling. On top of all these things, you're being blamed for it. The Christians are being called the reason this happened. Many of the old pagans who wanted the Roman, the Roman Empire to return to the Roman gods were basically saying, hey, you know, these Visigoth invaders that took our city were Christian. And Rome was never sacked when she was a pagan empire. But man, she's a Christian country, and less than 100 years later, the gods have given her up. What do you do then? Augustine could have been afraid to speak up. He could have been afraid to stick his neck out in a time like this. He too may have been wrestling with questions by God, like why is he letting hard times happen to these Christians that left Rome? And now he had to minister to these refugees and his old flock and balance it all while Christianity is looking less powerful and secure and the Roman Empire is in decline. He does not, however, respond in fear. He instead has courage. He gets right out there and writes a book, which ends up being a series of 22 books. It takes him years to get it all finished, but he writes a book answering all the questions one could possibly have on why did God let Rome fall. Yeah, so this book, titled City of God, is definitely one of his most famous books, probably what he's best known for. It pointed out that the Roman gods didn't do anything more to protect Rome from the famines and civil war and wars that ravaged it than the Christian god did. And so he, he sets out all these defenses. He covers everything from theology to politics, sociology, culture. He retold the history of the world and he argued against any possible arguments that Christians caused the fall of Rome. He also set up the ideas of what better governments are and what better governments should do. And he did this all while talking about the real city, God's city. He, he talked about what that would be like. And to the hurting refugee, or the scared Christian, or the struggling person, when asked, how could God let bad things happen, he answered them this way, quote, God does not raise up citadels of stone and marble for us. Outside of this world, he raises up citadels of the Holy Spirit for us, citadels of love which can never collapse, which will forever stand in glory when this world has been reduced to ashes. Rome has collapsed and your hearts are outraged by this. Rome was built by men like yourselves. Since when did you believe that men had the power to build things that are eternal? Your souls, filled with the light of the Holy Spirit, will not perish." End quote. So much of worship back then was about being protected. But Augustine tells you that bad things happen to Christians and non, and that punishment comes for all. But is your hope in Christ? As Augustine mentioned, a citadel of love. Let's listen to the sermon by St. Augustine, a sermon that he preached on love. not love God are strangers and antichrists. They might come to the churches, but they cannot be numbered among the children of God. That fountain of life does not belong to them. A bad person can be baptized and prophesy. King Saul could prophesy. Even while he persecuted the holy David, he was filled with the spirit of prophecy and began to prophesy in 1 Samuel 19. 
a bad person can receive the sacrament of the body and blood of the Lord. For it is said, all who eat and drink unworthily eat and drink judgment on themselves. 1 Corinthians 11.29 A bad person can claim the name of Christ and be called a Christian. Such people are referred to when it says they polluted the name of their God. Ezekiel 36.20 To have all these sacraments is, as I say, possible even for a bad person. But to have love and be a bad person is impossible. Love is the unique gift, the fountain that is yours alone. The Spirit of God tells you to drink from it, and in doing so, to drink from Himself. This is how the love of God is shown among us. The reason why the writer commands us is so that we may come to love God. Could we love Him unless He first loved us? Though we were slow to love at first, let us not be slow to love in return. He loved us first. We do not even love in the same way as He does. He loved the unrighteous, and He took away the unrighteousness. He loved the sick, but He visited them to make them whole. Love, then, is God. This is how the love of God is shown among us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we may live through Him. As the Lord Himself said, No one can have greater love than this to lay down His life for His friends. John 25, 13. This proved Christ's love for us, the fact that He died for us. How is the Father's love for us proven? By the fact that He sent His only Son to die for us. As the Apostle Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not freely give us all things? Romans 8, 32. Notice how the Father delivered up Christ, but so did Judas. Didn't it seem like they did the same sort of thing? There was a delivering up by the Father, a delivering up of himself by the Son, and a delivering up by Judas. The thing done is the same, but what is it that sets their actions apart? This, the Father and the Son did it in love, but Judas did it in betrayal. So you see that we need to consider not so much what a person does, but with what mind and will he does it. Why do we bless the Father and detest Judas for doing the same deed? We bless love and detest wickedness. What I have said so far applies to actions that are similar. When they are different, we find people made fierce by love and by wickedness can be seductively gentle. A father beats a boy while a kidnapper caresses him. When offered a choice between blows and caresses, who would not choose the caresses and avoid the blows? But when you consider the people who give them to you, then you realize that it is love that beats and wickedness that caresses. This is what I insist upon. Human actions can only be understood by their root in love. All kinds of actions might appear good without proceeding from the root of love. Remember, thorns also have flowers. Some actions seem truly savage, but are done for the sake of discipline motivated by love. Once and for all, I give you this one short command. Love and do what you will. 
If you hold your peace, hold your peace out of love. If you cry out, cry out in love. If you correct someone, correct them out of love. If you spare them, spare them out of love. Let the root of love be in you. Nothing can spring from it but good. No one has ever seen God. He is invisible and must be looked for not with the eye, but with the heart. But just as if we wish to see the sun, we should burn our eyes. So when wishing to see God, let us burn the eye by which God can be seen. Where is this eye? Hear the gospel. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Matthew 5, 8. But do not imagine God according to the lust of your eyes. If you do, you will create for yourself a huge form or an incalculable magnitude which, like the light which you see with your bodily eyes, extends in every direction. Your imagination lets it fill realm after realm of space, all the vastness you can conceive of. Or maybe you picture for yourself a venerable-looking old man. Do not imagine any of these things. If you would see God, here is what you should imagine. God is love. What sort of face does love have? What shape is it? What size? What hands and feet does it have? No one can say. And yet it does have feet, those feet that carry ill people to church. It does have hands, those hands that reach out to the poor. It has eyes, those through which we consider the needy. Blessed is the person, it is said, who considers the needy and the poor. Psalm 41.1 It has ears, of which the Lord says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Luke 8.8 These parts of the body are not separated by different places. Anyone with love sees the whole at once. Inhabit, and you will be inhabited. Dwell, and you will be dwelt in. After all, who loves what he cannot see, my brothers? But why then do you call out amen to my praises of love? What have I shown you? Have I produced a painting of wonderful colors? Have I been talking about something made from gold and silver? Have I dug out jewels from hidden treasure? Have I shown anything like this to your eyes? Has my face changed while I speak? No, you and I are just as we were before. But love is praised, and you shout and applaud. Certainly you do not see anything. But as it pleases you to praise love, so let it please you to keep it in your heart. Pay attention to what I say, brothers. I urge you on as God enables me toward a great treasure. If you were shown a beautiful little vase inlaid with gold, and it charms your eyes and drew the eager desire of your heart, would you not all say, if only I had that vase. And it would be pointless for you to say it, because it would not be in your power to possess it, although someone who wants to have it might think of stealing it from another's house. Love is praised to you. If it pleases you, have it, possess it. There is no need to rob anyone, no need to buy it. It is free. Take it and clasp it. There is nothing sweeter. If this is what it is like merely to talk about it, what must it be like when one has it? If any of you should wish to act out of love, brothers, do not imagine it to be a self-abasing, passive, and timid thing. And do not think that love can be preserved by a sort of gentleness, or rather tame listlessness. This is not how it is preserved. Do not imagine that you love your servant. 
when you only refrain from beating him, or that you love your son when you do not discipline him, or that you love your neighbor when you do not correct him. This is not love. It is feebleness. Love should be fervent to correct. Take delight in good behavior, but amend what is bad. Love the person, but not the error in the person. God made the person, but the person alone made the error. Love what God made, not what the person made. If you love one thing, you remove another. When you esteem one thing, you change another. But if you are severe, let it be out of love for the sake of correction. This is why love was represented by the dove which descended upon the Lord, Matthew 3.16. Why did the Holy Spirit, who pours love into us, take the form of a dove? The dove has no bitterness, yet she fights with beak and wings for her young. Hers is a fierceness without bitterness. In the same way, when a father chastises his son, he does so for discipline. As I said earlier, the kidnapper flatters the child with bitter endearments in order to sell him. But a father, for the sake of correction, chastises without bitterness. This is how you should act to all people. Let this be a great lesson for you, brothers, a great rule. You all have children or wish to have, or if you have decided for certain to have no children, at least spiritually you want to have children. Well, what father does not correct his son? What son does not respect his father's discipline? And yet he seems to be fierce with him. It is the fierceness of love, a fierceness without bitterness, in the way of a dove, not of the raven. From this it occurs to me, brothers, to tell you who the violators of love are. They are the ones who have split away from the church. As they hate love itself, so they hate the dove too. But the dove convicts them. It comes from heaven. The heavens open and it rests on the head of the Lord. Why? That John may hear, this is he that baptizes. John 1.33 Away from here, robbers. Away, you who invade the possession of Christ. You have dared to ascribe to your own things the ownership of God, although you insist on being lords there. He recognizes and rules over his own possession. He does not cancel the deeds, but enters in and takes charge. When any come to the Catholic Church, their baptism is not canceled, so that the ownership of the commander is not canceled. What is done in the church? The owner is acknowledged and enters under his own title, but the robber entered under a title that does not belong to him. Augustine covers pretty much every idea here on love, or at least a lot of them on love, and I think it's really important, just kind of stepping aside, Sometimes we look at people who are theologians or who are great church history people, and we see a lot of sides of them, but we forget that they also very much see the love of God, and that if you were in their lives, very often that love, that personal love they have for God and for other people through God would be would be a part of them. This is just 
something I see a lot of times where people who get really into the book reading or the church history or these theology things, sometimes that love for people and love for God gets a little bit lost on the side. And I think Augustine reminds us that there is nothing wrong with preaching a great sermon on the love of God and the love that God has for others and how that light and love can shine through you and be a part of your life. And I like what he said too about how you can't look at the sun and yet you know that the sun brings light to everything else, but to look directly at the sun it would burn you. And I think that he, that's a good description of, and it's not a new description, but I just love that description in terms of relating to God. As oftentimes we wonder, you know, how can God be so holy of holies that we cannot approach him? And then we remember he created things like the sun, that that is very uh, much how he, his, his creation reflects that in him. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Keith Foskey. Keith Foskey has been a pastor at Sovereign Grace Family Church in Jacksonville, Florida since January of 2006. He is a graduate of Ashford University and Jacksonville Baptist Theological Seminary. He is the host of the Conversations with a Calvinist podcast, a weekly look at scripture, culture, and media from a Reformed perspective. He and his wife, Jennifer, have six children. Go and check them out at Conversations with a Calvinist. Search for that in your podcast app of choice. Yeah, I was actually on a recent episode of Conversations with a Calvinist. So if you want to hear me on there, you can hear us discussing church history. He has some really good questions about history, specifically Baptist history, but some really good questions. So I recommend if you want to go and check that episode out first if you enjoy listening to us. If you enjoyed this episode of Revive Thoughts, we encourage you to share this episode. Tell a friend about it. Send it to them over Messenger uh, or over, you know, a text. Send them in an email. Send it to them through, I don't know, whatever messaging uh, app you enjoy, however you like telling people or talking to people online. Send it to somebody or post it somewhere. That would be wonderful. Or just tell a friend in person. Let them know. This episode might deeply encourage somebody. You never know what they will learn from it. We also recommend that if you enjoy listening to St. Augustine, don't forget we have several other episodes on him. And we have a once a week devotional. Well, the devotional comes out every day, but once a week it covers Confessions by St. Augustine. And you can listen to more from this great, wonderful church father. So go and check out that show, Revive Devos, and go and make sure you've listened to the other episodes on St. Augustine that we have done. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.